Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Scott Powell. Thanks so much for listening to The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. Uh, Unfortunately, Father Peter and I are not available this week, so we have a classic episode back from the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time in 2017. So it's the exact same readings that you're going to hear at Mass this Sunday, just our take on it from a couple years ago. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back live next week, and we will see you then. Thanks. You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Everything is awesome. <laughs> Everything is cool when you're part of the podcast. Everything is awesome. Should I play that as our intro? <laughs> sure. Of, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, y'all, welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Musset. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. And we are super excited. So Proverbs, Perfectly. the first one is a 31, 10 to 13, 19 to 20, and 30 to 31. Literally the very end of Proverbs. The epilogue, if you will. What were you going to say? I didn't I saved read. you from I, saying what you were about to say. <laughs> trying to protect your, I, my, my, your dignity. The, uh, thank you for your dignity protection. <laughs> Thanks. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 128, verses 1 through 2, 3, little lonely 3, and then 4 and 5. And our response itself is coming from 1A. Hey, hey that's the, our response is from the Canadian. Uh, the Canadian version of the- <laughs> it's like 1A. 1A. <laughs> <laughs> and then our uh, Thessalonica, Wiz's uh-huh. uh, first Thessalonica, for five, to one through six. What's Thessalonica. <laughs> How okay. do I, how do I say it? Thessalonians? Thessalonians. Oh, yeah. The city is called Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki. So, first Thessaloniki. Oh, my God. I can, why can't I talk Thessalonians. today? You know what happened is I just had a Red Bull, so my brain is moving you're faster little, than my mouth. You're, yeah. I'm amped. Fair enough. Do you want me to do it? You can do the gospel. It's a little easier to say Matthew. Okay. Okay. The first Thessalonians, <laughs> chapter five, verses one through six. <laughs> you got this, man. Okay. Uh, our gospel yes. is the longer form of Matthew mm-hmm. 25, 14 to 30. Very good. Very good. Our, 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 our valid and, and perfectly morally neutral views of capitalism, I think, falsely taint our understanding of this parable. I have no beef with capitalism. I just want it. That's a caveat. No problem with capitalism, especially because we asked you to give us your money. <laughs> but um, I don't think that's what this story is about. It's not about just making return. But we're not there yet. We're not in Proverbs. Or we're not in Matthew yet. Right. Am I right? You're right. So Proverbs. Proverbially. All right. I have a lot to say about this. Um, well, that's because you found a worthy wife, bro. I did. Oh my gosh. Did I find a worthy wife? She, oh, don't tell her what a lame brand I am. (laughs) Oh, I really married up. I'll tell you that. So did you, as far as being married to the the bride of Christ. Dude, I got to We both married up. I got to say, I have this very strange experience of my, um, of my spousal role to the church right now. Okay. Um, because I get a chance to be with Christ in his is espousing of his church. Aren't I kind of your wife? Yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> well, because what happens is we turn the church. Um, we talked about that on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Flipping it over? Flipping it. We turn it. It's it's now in the upside down. <laughs> I thought you meant, because when you flip it upside down, it's supposed to look like an arc. Like it Noah's does. Arc. Anyway, it, yeah. So the upside down. Yeah. It, so it's not in the upside down, but we, uh, we, it was. I've been watching Stranger Things alone at night by myself. Oh, dude. I, <laughs> dude, that makes it even better. As I, I wait to feed my infant daughter. <laughs> dude, it'll scare the, the, the bananas out the of you. I have to turn all the lights on. Turn all the lights on. Okay. Anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Not where we're. What now? A spousal. Espousal. Espousal. Um, I turn the church and I have to say, I have such a generous parish mm. 
like like dude it's been it's like a really really tough move to have a reorientation of your church because it's a big deal because we've had it for 30 years basically this way is that right 30 years so half of the life of the church and um and it's it's really disorienting mm. even though it's reorienting and like people have been just really generous and very loving and I'm really happy to hear that yeah and and you never know I'm not getting a lot of complaints but I know that people are struggling and sure. that's like like, dude, it's like you look at your wife and you say, man, you know when she's struggling, but she's not complaining and she's with you and like she's generous towards you. You know that feeling? You know that feeling? Say it one more time. When you made a decision and you're making a particular direction and she's following with you uh, and not she's not complaining, but you know yeah. that it's it's asking a lot oh, of her. Right. And yet she's generous in that. And you know how that feels? Yeah. It's, it's a hard, that's a burden to carry. It's a burden to carry. And it's also really beautiful and good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. So, so so this is our worthy wives we're talking about. Worthy wives, baby. Um, have we, okay. We've so, not contextualized okay, uh, good. Proverbs thank yet. You. Thank, you for, thank you for knowing my heart enough to know exactly the question I was asking. Here's one thing I just have to say about the Proverbs. This is what's called part of wisdom literature because these are wise sayings. One of the things just to know about Proverbs, um, I this is this is this relates to the Bible in general and Proverbs in particular. Proverbs is not one of those books that's designed to just be read straight through like a narrative. It's not a narrative, right? It's a it's a it's kind of like the Psalms. The Psalms were never be, meant to be read like straight through. They're not chronological or narrative, right? <laughs> they're they're a series. Not a narrative book. You wouldn't read so you wouldn't go to the library and pick up a book of famous quotations and like just read it straight through cover to cover. That's not how it's designed, right? Which is that's an analogy for this. This is kind of like a book of wise quotations. Yeah, I have this book, Leaves of Gold, and I. I loved just growing up and I would just open it up to these random quotes and stuff. Which is what's sort of beautiful about the, the Proverbs, but the Psalms as well and some of the wisdom literature. It's also partially why um, people don't know what to do with it in terms of salvation history. Like, what you know what I mean? Where do you fit it? Well, it actually spans a lot of different um, genres and not genres really, but it spans a lot of time periods. Right. So, um, which is one of the things I like. It's so Proverbs, the Psalms, the wisdom literature. I, it's one of those kind of love-hate relationships. We love them because they're accessible in the sense that you can literally just pick it up and, and pick one and read through it and be edified or be challenged or whatever. But they're challenging in the sense that we don't always know there's not an on-ramp. I don't know how to how to get there. I don't know what to do with these mm. or where to put them. Um, but they're all about this concept of wisdom, which we talked about last week. Um, we talked about this concept. I think we talked about this a little bit last time. This concept, this Hebrew concept called chokmah. We've talked about chokmah before on the podcast. It's um, the basic meaning of chokmah is skill. So, so what does wisdom mean for the Hebrews? It's, it's not really a textbook knowledge about something, but it's like an artistic craftsmanship. Chokmah. Wisdom is not just knowing about stuff. It's the skill of seeing the world in a certain way. It's the skill of being able to do something, to have a craft. What is the craft to understand what reality is? Does that make any sense? I'm starting to get abstract. No, this is the thing is that um, as a teacher of art, so I love engaging people and showing them how to make things. I find that those who make have such a deeper appreciation of that which really is. So like, I'll tell you, if you try to make pottery Mm. and then you see good pottery, you're like, wow, that is beautiful. Yeah. And so in a certain sense, when... When you're engaging, like, like that's the weirdest part. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We've been in invited in a certain sense into a godly way of being able to perceive the world. Truth. 
And so chokmah, when you say that, it arises within me this idea of like this, this like profound invitation to be with the creator and understand the creation, not merely from our own perspective, but from an elevated perspective of that which of those who, from he who is created. Which you could also simply paraphrase by saying to understand reality for what it is. Yes. Because what is seeing creation from God's perspective, but seeing reality? And it, which sounds one of the, I mean, not to belabor this point and get abstract, but I mean, it's hard to see creation for what it actually is because it can be deceiving and there's forces in our world and different influences and voices and everything that want to deceive us. So the point of the wisdom literature is that wisdom means to see God's creation and to understand what reality is, which is a skill that needs to be honed and developed. And it's not an easy thing. So that's what Proverbs is doing we are getting the very, very end of Proverbs, which, um, by the way, the way that Proverbs is sort of set up, uh, it's not set up chronologically or by thematically or by topic or anything. It's set up by author. Okay. And so you'll see headings as you read through it. You know, these are the, the wise sayings of King Solomon, or these are the wise sayings of, you know, the, the sons of Solomon or, or so-and-so or whatever. And in chapter 31, we get this very strange um, statement that this chapter, this last chapter, it's the sayings of King Lemuel, <laughs> L-E-M-U-E-L. And the thing that's kind of funny, nobody has a clue who King Lemuel is. Really? No one knows this guy. There's a theory out there that I think is, a, I think it's intriguing based on if, if you actually read it, that it's another name for Solomon himself. Some scholars actually think maybe it's a pet name that his mother Bathsheba gives him. And there's, there's a reason for that. So there's reason to believe that it actually might be an, a, a name for a, a pseudonym for King Solomon. Now, think about Solomon for a second. Where did Solomon come from? Who was Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. Who was Bathsheba? Bathsheba was the lady who was bathing on the roof with David. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you for, worded for, that poorly. For David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So David's great sin, right? When he he was supposed to be off at Psalm war. 51, yeah. Uriah's, uh, Uriah's, Uriah's ex, wife. Uh, widowed wife. Yeah. Who David has an affair with and which, takes into his own home. And which, by the way, there's a canon law in the church that you cannot murder somebody's spouse and then marry them. It is. It actually makes for an invalid <laughs> marriage. In case any of you are like, in hey. In case you're in that situation right now, don't like, pull a David. Don't pull a David. <laughs> wow. I can't believe that's actually. It's funny because canon laws only come about. Be, oh, any laws only come about because somebody did those things. Yeah, <laughs> so att- attempted that. It was a problematic enough that they did that. So listen to the beginning of chapter thirty-one. <laughs> this is uh, this is before the part that we get. But imagine this coming out of Solomon's mouth for a second. I like that you just moved on, and I'll imagine it coming out of his mouth. <laughs> Solomon, by the way, he's known for his wisdom, right? Which is why a lot of these things are attributed to him. Uh-huh. But he also had a pretty wicked downfall at the end of his life. Um, if <laughs> what? No, that, 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 oh, that, that was, was your down, yes. that was his downfall. It's ironic if you put this in the mouth of Samuel or of Solomon, and we know that the reading that we have this week is all about finding a, a great spouse. And you're like, wait a second, how, what 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 is Solomon's spousal experience? Do you remember? Uh, hold on, no, I don't. He had hundreds of them. 
hundreds and hundreds of wives from hundreds of hundreds of bad military alliances he made with nations he shouldn't have allied himself with and gained hundreds of, of wives and brought their gods and their deities and their pagan religions into his household and corrupted all of Israel. I mean, it's a pretty bad deal. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's So if you imagine this coming out of the mouth of Solomon, it, it actually changes things a little. So imagine this, the sayings of King Lemuel. This is the beginning. This is not our reading, but I just want to say this. Uh, it says, the sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. And that's mm. fascinating. What if it's Bathsheba? Who... You know, there's debate about did Bathsheba kind of set herself up? Did she want to be seen by David? Was she trying to seduce him? Was she an innocent bystander who was just taking a bath and got taken advantage of? Nobody's sure, but it's sort of an interesting thing to speculate. Well, this is the thing, though, is that like talk about somebody. Uh, one of the effects of lust, if mm. you if you take this in um, Saint Thomas Aquinas's uh, expressions, is the inability to follow one's own counsel. So you can know the right, really? yeah, the right thing to do, but you, but the effect of lust. One of the daughters of the seven deadly sins of lust is you cannot actually follow what you know is right and true. So him, wow. know his mom wow. saying to him, him, you because because look, and but then you can also imagine here, imagine a brother with a hundred wives, six hundred and sixty six, six hundred and sixty six wives, six six. Dude, he belongs in a metal band with that. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't that. No, he had six hundred. There was three sixes in there. Dude, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. I know brothers and I know brothers who have just one wife. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of work that's involved in that. Can you imagine? If, if there was, I mean, I'm trying to imagine my whole parish being my wife. Oh my! And like, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. <laughs> I can imagine him just kind of musing on going like. What if I just like got to be in a little house with my one wife and she just like made some wool and she was nice <laughs> she and virtuous and she was nice and virtuous and she That's just true. spun stuff and we had a little bit of like we had a ma and pa shop in the that in the old nice. market and you can see a longing of that yeah like that's I mean and because like isn't that like beautiful though I mean we th- even those who are single and or those who are engaged are like wouldn't that be nice if we just lived together yeah. and we made some custom cowboy boots in our house and <laughs> that's what my parents do. So before we get there, because that's so you're tapping into the reading that we get, but the, the precursor to that, listen to what, so again, an oracle his mother taught him. Listen to this. Imagine it being Solomon. O son, my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows, do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. Oh, oh. <laughs> you're like, oh, Mm-mm. oh, can you imagine Bathsheba being like, what are you doing, Solomon? This is not good. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, which means uh, for God or to- toward God. So I-, I don't think it's a name. I think it's a title or, or you know, a- an address. It is not for kings to drink wine nor rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their wives, or of their their rights, not their wives. (laughs) Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Let let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. But you, you got to stay sober and alert. Or it's, it's a funny thing what it actually says. Uh, don't get drunk on wine. Don't overuse wine or crave beer. Why not? Because you might forget what the law decrees, and what's the result? Deprive the oppressed of their rights. If you drink wine, if you don't keep yourself sober and alert, then the poor will suffer. 
Wow. Which is, it, it's just a profound to put this because again, Solomon who makes himself richer than any king before him, so much wealth, so many weapons, so much power, so many wives. And actually looking back, imagine Solomon looking back and saying, Oh, I actually remember what my mother taught me and I did not follow those, but I want this to be recorded. I want this to be known and spoken. Yeah. And then we get to our reading, which starts here. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubles. I mean, again, this man who has hundreds of wives who are bringing all sorts of corruption and false deities and, and a lot of stuff into the kingdom. Uh, uh, I'll read that. Uh, let's version. just say drama. Drama. One who finds a worthy wife, her value is far beyond pearls. Her husband, entrusting his heart to her, has an unfailing prize. She brings him good, not evil, all the days of her life. She obtains wool and flax and works with loving hands. She puts her hands to the dastiff, her fingers to ply the spindle. She reaches out her hands to the poor. She extends her arms to the needy. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised and her reward for her labors and her works praise her at the city gates. Now, here's the thing about this. Proverbs 31, um, why is the description of the ideal wife included at the end of the entire book of Proverbs, the whole thing? Um, Traditionally, and you see this throughout the rest of the book, uh, thematically, wisdom is always described as a woman. And her relationship or our relationship to her is described as that of a wife, right? So it's fitting literarily that the Proverbs would end this way because it pulls together everything wisdom would do. But um, a, a teacher of mine pointed this out. This woman, this ideal woman that's described here at the end of Proverbs, yeah. why is she described this way? It's not just, oh, she does really good work and she cooks really nice meals. and she. <laughs> it's not that because you could read it that way and be like, oh, it's this submissive wife who makes sweaters and cooks meals. You could read it that way or you could say, no, this woman's whole life is in step with wisdom, which means according to wisdom itself, she's in step with creation. She understands what creation is. She understands how to use animals and wool and the spindle and care for the poor and actually approach reality for what it is. Yeah. That's why she's so profoundly important. That's why this ideal wife is so beautiful, not just because she makes me stuff and she's a nice, you know, um, uh, housewife. It's not that. It's that, no, she understands creation, how to use it and how to um, make it a gift for others. Yeah. She understands wisdom. She is wisdom. Which is just kind of a beautiful way to read that. And that's the capstone of this book. Ooh. So that, um, I think, sets us up for the rest. Now, our responsorial psalm. Well, I mean, the response from the Canadian response, the <laughs> blessed, are those who, blessed are those who fear the Lord, eh? Nice. That was actually pretty good. <laughs> hey, man. This is for our Canadian listeners up in the, uh, where, where is the place that you've been talking? Saskatchewan I'm going to in February. Oh, yeah, the Saskatchewan guys, like Mike up there, right? Is it, <laughs> yeah. is it, is it Mike and I'm John? I'm sure there's a Mike. I'm sure there's a, a, a who Mike. Are the, uh, who are the guys from Strange Brew? Oh, dude, I don't know, eh? That's what you. That's what you're reminding me of. As, that's what it is. But uh, those yeah. are the those are the ones that are being able to uh, bless the Lord who are fearing them. You sound a little Irish, too. Well, this is the thing, is when you're in Ireland, um, it does sound a little bit like Canadians. I don't know what it is. I think that there's some Canadians that occupied Ireland or something. You've totally just morphed into an Irish. <laughs> Which is fine. No, blessed um, are those who fear the Lord, because fear of the Lord is one of those things that's really, um, it, it damaged people in an inappropriate manner in their life. Like a misunderstanding of a what misunderstanding fear of the Lord, of the Lord is. Mean, yeah. yeah, because you say like, 
you know, no, Ooh, I'm afraid. Yeah. Pe- people who are living in, you know, what is it? Um, strictly ballroom was the first time I was introduced to this quote, <laughs> which is a very funny Australian film, which I cannot do an Australian accent right now. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, it was, it, it the quote, and, and you're it was, never going to speak at a focus conference cause it's, I feel like it's half Australian <laughs> speakers, isn't it? It is. <laughs> anyway, all the, all the big name chastity speakers are from Australia. Dude, go uh, go Aussie <laughs> chastity men. Aussie chastity is at the forefront. Maybe it's of, just Matt Fred. Okay, that's isn't there another one? Matthew uh, Kelly. Matthew, well, he's not. Yeah, I think yeah, he's, he's Australian yeah, he's too. Aussie. See, yeah, there you dude. go. All right, side note. Where do your Aussie, dude? <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I even saying? Oh, oh, <laughs> strictly uh, ballroom. Strictly ballroom. <laughs> a life lived in fear as a life half lived. Mm. That that like the truth is is that we are not meant to be people who are afraid, but fully yes. filled with confidence. Yes. But but to attribute real respect and dignity and understanding that there is a greatness and a grandeur to God that is much bigger than us. That is something to where we we absolutely reverence and say no. Yes. This I like because we can. We are such a people disposed to think that we are the end all be all of everything. That we that the yes. the sun rises and sets with our opinions and ideas and lives, and yes. we don't actually turn ourselves outward to say that there are is you know. Uh, you know, made a decision to, uh, to that um, a power greater than ourselves could save us. So, you know? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think a, a great definition, the simplest definition of the fear of the Lord is the recognition that there is a God and I'm not him. <laughs> right? That's essentially what it's saying. Absolutely. And your life then follows accordingly. That's actually yeah. what wisdom is. Yeah. The recognition that, no, I'm not God. And I approach creation with that understanding. And then, I mean, what, what does this say? You know, you will eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. I'm approaching the world and creation and agriculture and food and my relationships knowing that there is a God and I'm not him. And so things tend to fall into place. And to say, I need to, okay, let's be honest about some people pleasing in the world. All right. You know, if you like, Neil was telling me, my brother, about a, a book that he had read, and it said, if you really want to take power up, then you get recommendations from people. Okay, like you ask their advice. So you say you yeah. you want to take up power. The truth is, is that we speaking off- of Solomon, speaking of Solomon. Well, do you remember Solomon's son Rehoboam? Yeah, who had the choice if he was going to basically divide the kingdom. And he went to his his the wise council, and he says, "What do you guys think I should do?" And they're like, "Listen to the voice of the people, ease their burdens, be benevolent to them, don't be like your father." And then he goes to his his frat buddies or whatever, you know, his football friends, and he's like, "What do you think I should do?" And they're like, "How dare you? You're going to be even tougher than your father, and you're going to put bigger taxes and more burdens, and you're going to be, you know, how dare they even ask for mercy from you?" What were we talking about? Power. Power. But he seeks counsel from two different sources, and he chooses the bad source to follow the advice from about power. Dude, yeah, man. Don't you hate But we can be people-pleasing, and we can say, hey, I actually want to make—I uh, want to please my nasty friends over here, and I want to be respected and understood. And so in a certain sense, yeah. we say, 
oh, I don't want to act in a way that's going to upset the people who are really close and intimate to me in my life. Yeah. In a certain sense, you can say, I fear my friends. Yes. I have a certain fear of my friends because I, sure. I, I'm intimate and I'm vulnerable to them. Okay. And, and I don't want to be abused or taken advantage of or lost from them. And like, yeah. so in a certain sense, there's a natural analog, mm. but the person who is, doesn't, who, who fears the Lord says, no, I want to please God. Mm. I want to take the counsels of God into account and I want to dispose myself to what God is wanting to me to do, not just what my f- frat friends, my football buddies are telling me what to do. Which is a hard thing to do. I mean, you know, we're making a little bit of light of it, but it's, that's all hard. I mean, to actually have to follow God and look as a fool or, or, or worse, yes, put yourself as in a fool. danger right. in front of peers or friends or family members or whatever it is, that's easier said than done. But that is the fear of the Lord. This is a perfect, I know we're not there yet, but this is going to be a perfect segue into the gospel, I think. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Which, so then but we, before we get there. But, but on the way to the gospel, we have to meet the Thessalonica. <laughs> yes. I just wouldn't say that in, in, in any way I can. We're getting a lot of the ends of things. So this because is very a, well. It's a thirty-three Sunday in ordinary. We're time. getting there. We're getting toward the end of the liturgical year. So I, this is the end of the book of First Thessalonians. Yeah. Next week after this week is Christ the King. Oh yeah, because Advent starts. Yeah, because this is this is the end. Of, this Ooh. is this, we're approaching the end of all time. This is an icon of what it looks like for the last judgment to come. So you yeah. best be fearing the Lord, because guess what? The you brother best. is coming back, and we better look busy. <laughs> That's right. Which is essentially what Paul says to the Thessalonians, who are, remember, if you remember from last week, they're asking this question, hey, Paul, we don't totally, well, we get Jesus, we get the euros from the dead, we don't totally get what we're supposed to be looking toward. Like, he went up to heaven, but he's coming back or something, and what does that look like? And we're going to be we're gonna be caught up in the rapture, and we're going to disappear, and all these other yeah, people are like, just going to have to, like, be in a mosh pit on earth. I don't be know. In a mosh. <laughs> right. So concerning, so he answers, concerning times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well when the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and security, then suddenly disaster comes upon you. Like labor pains of a pregnant woman, they will not escape. You don't know when it's coming. He's coming back. Everyone's going to be, you know, it'll... Elsewhere, I think it's in Second Peter, right? He says it'll be, no, Jesus says in the Gospels, he says it'll be like the days of Noah, right? People are eating and drinking and being merry, and then the flood swept them away. It's going to be like that. Right. There's, the flood is a great analogy for what Paul is saying, because it took a long time for the waters to come and the water levels to rise and for the flood to actually happen. Right. When the flood waters came, I mean, do you remember when we had the flood here, you know, what was that, 2013 uh-uh. years ago? I don't. Come on, man. Don't be, a, don't be a poop. So we had a big flood. The flood was sort of sudden, right? There was that night. I remember that we were recording the podcast because we were really late, and the, the warning sirens started going off throughout Boulder. We, we tried and we to record like, it three times we because did, we, we, had, we had bears. And- bears and floods. And everyone was like, get out, away from Boulder Creek because there's going to be the floodwaters coming in. And there's so there was, naked college students running yeah, down the street. It was a weird time in Boulder. It was. But there was the immediacy of like flash flood, waters are coming, things are given out. But there was flash floods and this immediate danger because there were days and days and days of rain that preceded it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't out of nowhere. It wasn't just the floods coming out of nowhere. No, it's been raining really hard for days and the ground is clearly saturated. So, I mean, we can read the signs of the times. We don't know the day or the hour. We right. don't know when the Lord will come back. But Paul is saying, you can read the signs of the times. You mm-hmm. know to, what to look for to be prepared. You're not going to know when that flash flood is going to hit. 
but you know to be prepared and you can watch and you can observe and you can, this is wisdom to see the created order, to see relationships, to see what God is doing and to see reality for what it is. If you have trained yourself in the chokmah of actually recognizing reality, then when that day or hour that no one knows comes, you will have trained yourself to see reality. So you will know. Yes. Which is, that's the point. I mean, yes, Paul is saying you don't know when it's going to happen, but it's not just, well, you're on your own. You know, we'll figure it out when it happens. It's saying, if you understand the whole tradition that precedes this, if you know what reality is, if you know who Jesus is, you don't need to know the day or the hour because you'll already have trained yourself to be prepared. Yes. That is what true wisdom is. And that's what Paul's calling his audience to. So you don't have to be in darkness, he says, for that day um, are not in darkness. Yeah, because it'll overtake you like a thief. But you are children of the night and children of the day. We're not children of the night or darkness. We're not children of the kind of fear of the Lord that you mentioned before, the false fear of the Lord. It's not just being afraid and like shaking and cowering. <laughs> it's a true fear that God is in charge and I am not he. That kind of fear is light and actually brings life and power and reality, not the darkness of cowering and fear. And anxiousness and... Yes. And twisted upness and and distortion, and but so it's, was, yeah. it's saying like this is powerful and great. But how do you recognize it? And his last line is key. Therefore, stay alert and sober. Which was the point of last week's gospel, by the way. It was also the point of the beginning of oh yeah the the the, the ten virgins with the oil lamps. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not keep oil with you all the time. <laughs> right. It's like. Which- yeah. Well, it was also the advice to, to the king in the end of Proverbs, remember? It wasn't part of our reading, but it was what preceded our reading. If you're getting drunk on wine and beer all the time, then you're not going to actually recognize reality. Right. That will steal wisdom from you. Mm. Again, it's not saying that beer and wine are bad, right? That's obviously not the point. But it's saying, no, no, no. you gotta stay, You got to stay sober. Yep. So well, that brings us to the... Uh, Parable of the Talents. Parable of the Talents. There's another version of this parable in Luke chapter 19. And um, part of me wishes that we had Luke 19 this time because it gives us a lot of details that this version of the parable doesn't have. And, you know, you, you could you could say, well, does Matthew just kind of pick and choose which things he's going to record? Or does Jesus gives two, give two different versions of this parable? Dude, I don't know. Dude, this is the thing is the proclamation of the kingdom. Okay, let's be honest. The very best speakers in the whole world, okay, they keep Are using this... the same images over yeah, and over again. Absolutely. I mean, like, like, um, you give the same homily probably multiple times on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure you tweak it and you, you know, you you adjust things and it, you. Well, I mean, like, the, I have a dream. Seven thirty crowd never never laughs at your jokes, but the nine o'clock we're all yeah, punch yeah. drunk on our kids. <laughs> to, you know, well, the, we laugh at everything. Yeah, but this is the thing: is the I have a dream speech from Martin Luther King. Yeah. Um, those are all things that he'd been saying on his on the road. He, yeah, it used to be, I, I have a neat idea speech the week before that, but he tweaked it. <laughs> Shut up. I'm he sorry. didn't do no, that. Not at all. <laughs> but where, so, so I always think like you have the sermon on the plane, the sermon on the mountain. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's traveling around and he's got to get this message out to all these people. Absolutely right. And so as they're considering and as they're looking, the part of the thing is, is that they've heard this five, 10, 15 times. They've been doing this for yeah. three years. Yeah, probably. Jesus ha- has some some messaging that he worked out. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, so as you, there's some details that you remember that they're going to stick with you in the same way that the same sermon that you hear and the mm. ser- person next to you, they're going to, you're going to hear the same sermon, but right. something else is going to touch you because the Holy Spirit moves within right. our hearts in a unique individual way. Right. Which is why Matthew and Luke record it differently. 
It's not in contradiction. They're not conflicting with each other. That's that's a that's such a that's such a cop out way to read the Bible, isn't it? Well, these things don't matter. Are you a bird? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to distract you. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, I I have a book and I'm like I'm like doing it up and up and down so that the 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 covers of the book like a bird. All of these are the talk. reasons why you should watch the live the live stream of the podcast because you get to see ridiculousness like this yes okay so all that being said we're uh we're at the end again he he's giving the the dire warnings now because again we're approaching the end of the liturgical year he's about to go to the cross here right he's right. about to pronounce this curse on the temple this is done my warnings you know I, I gave the blessings in the sermon on the mount at the beginning of matthew then i gave warnings for those who don't heed what i say i just completed saying a series of woe to you if you really don't listen and now i'm to give you a couple of parables that just say the end is on the way. So this is an intense, and I I do think, and again this is this is I don't mean this in a negative sense, but I do think our Western mindsets steal a little bit from this parable for us because we we have a particular category that we put this in, and it's the parable of the talents, right? So it's this Jesus says there's a guy I, that I, I like to journey. call it the the parable of the Benjamins. Oh, the Benjamins. We don't. Here's the problem. We don't entirely know what a talent was. It's a big amount of money. It should be like a one talent would be like a year's salary. It's actually a measurement of weight. No, actually, that's not true. You want to, you want to get your mind blown? Yeah. One talent. Well, again, we don't exactly know what it was. It's a measurement of weight. So what does that even mean? But one talent they estimate was probably the equivalent of 15 to 20 years salary for an average worker. 20 years salary. Okay. Imagine that for a second. You mean like that's a lot of that's, that's a lot of Benjamin, dude. That's like some Benjamin. So a talent is like you think a dude like burying a coin in the ground. Now the brother had to work to bury it. He was like, well, he buried twenty years' wages in the ground. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We think of that's like a coin, but it probably was or something. I don't know. I don't know what physically it was. A bar of gold. But it's also remarkable to think. So again, this master's going on a journey. He calls his servants, and and um, he gave five talents to one of them. So that's five times twenty-five. Wait, five times two times that's five. A lot of math. That's a two lot of times math. Five is tens. Is a hundred years worth of that's salary. That's a lot of salary, man. Dude, that's like, like mi- here you million. Go. It's like a couple million. I think there's a reason for this. So hold on to that for a second. He gives another one two, which is remarkable, and he gave a third one one. Um, it's remarkable that when he comes back, some of these guys have actually doubled that, so, which is profound. They've made a ton of cash. But he gave, they gave them each these things, and he went on his way. And you know the story. They, they go out, and they traded with them. They do commerce with them, and one of them hid it and you know, buried it in the hole in the ground. Then the, servant comes, the master comes back. Uh, Luke's version, again, I'm just going to pull from Luke's version for a second because there's a couple details. Again, it's a different parable, and there's different things going on. But Luke's parable, again, because it gives us a little bit more... It says this master was going to go off to a far country to receive his kingship, to receive authority. And it actually says that there were going to be a bunch of enemies who were going after him. Oh. So a master is going off to a far country to receive his crown, to come back and be king. That's what Luke says. So which puts a bit of a different light on what this master is doing or this, this important person. He's going off to receive his kingly authority. Which actually happened with King Herod, who went to Caesar and bought off the kingship so he could become king. His son tried to do the same thing, and he got killed for it. So you're like, you know, in in the historical context, you're like, whoa, we don't know what's going to happen with that. And to add to it, again, Luke tells us that enemies go off trying to kill him. So imagine this. You have this, even if it's not a king, you have a master 
you know, think of the, 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 the political structure, both of our country, but think of the political structure in the Middle East. And someone says, I'm going to go off to receive this political authority. And when I come back, I'm going to be in charge of all this stuff. I'm going to rule over things. So I want you to go in my name and I want you to basically start business. I mean, he, he doesn't he gives them these talents, this huge amount of money. And he basically says, do commerce, start businesses, start trade. Right. So imagine that you're a follower of this would be king. Okay. who's going off to receive his authority, who you know people are going to try to kill him along the way. Okay. And if that happens, then his enemies are going to come to power. How publicly do you want to go out and basically start businesses in the name of a king who might be assassinated before he gets back? Eesh. Do you see the point of this? It's telling what the master says when he comes back. He doesn't reward the first two for their success. And the wording is really imperative in the in the parable. They, you know, they traded one of them doubles the money, the other got a, a lot of return. He doesn't say you're great because you've had success. He says you're great because you were faithful. He praises their faithfulness, not their success. Yeah, it's a big deal and I think we think capitalistically because they made a lot of money on the return. That that's a great thing. But really I think what the master's looking for is saying, "Okay, I'm going off this is potentially really dangerous. You don't know if I'm going to come back. Are you willing to put your neck on the line to act in the person of a master who you know people hate, who you know people want to kill, who is going to be make you very unpopular if you act in his name, and you don't know exactly how this is going to turn out? Hmm. Are you willing to go stick your neck out on the line and act in authority in his name? And one of them says, that's too scary for me. I'm going to bury this in the ground because I'm terrified because people might try to kill me. They might try to seek my life. They might try to hurt me. They might mock me. They might make fun of me. They might put me in danger, call me a fool because I've followed this person. So I'm going to bury it. It's not about the financial return on the talents. It's about the willingness of people who have not seen the fruition of their master's authority come out. Are you willing to put your neck on the line for your master because you trust in your master? Not because you've seen the crown with your own eyes, but because you trust who he is. And as Jesus is going to the cross, saying, are you willing to follow me, knowing that the enemies are right on his tail, that his life is going to be sought, that if his life is going to be sought, then his followers' lives are going to be sought as well. He's saying, are you going to stick your neck out on the line? Are you going to... I mean, if you put the parable of the talents into the person of the apostles, they all fail at this, except for John at the foot of the cross. Right. They all essentially bury their talents in the ground and run off and hide. Right. Except John, he's like, no, I'm here. But then come they come back it. and then they go for it, all of them. Exactly right. But you can also put it into perspective of what does it mean for a Catholic or even just a Christian in general today? Our king, the one who we say is the master over all of heaven and earth, is hard to see. He's yeah. here with us, and he's yes. present in the Eucharist. But, hey, world, this piece of bread, he's God, and he's awesome, and he's the king, and every knee should bow at this little piece of bread that we keep in a gold box inside of our church. That's a really strange thing to say. Are you willing to stand up in the world and say, I know it's not going to get me any friends, it's not going to get me any political authority, it's not going to make me wealthy, it's not going to make me popular, but I'm going to put my neck on the line and say that I am following the master Jesus Christ and I'm going to live in his church and I'm going to support and stand for and, and essentially give spiritual commerce to all of the unpopular things that the church holds and teaches. 
which is not going to make me many friends. Are you willing to stand in the public square and trade in those spiritual truths? Or are you going to take those spiritual truths that have been entrusted to us in the king's ascension into heaven before he comes again in the second coming? And are we going to bury that in the sand? I'm going to go to mass on Sunday, but I'm going to kind of sit in the back and I'm not going to really engage. And I'm definitely not going to tell my coworkers that I'm a Catholic. I'm just, I'm going to do my thing though. And I'm a Catholic. I'm going to, you know, do my responsibilities, but I don't know if I'm going to actually trade in that spiritual commerce in my everyday life. I'm not going to tell my neighbors. I'm not going to tell my coworkers. I'm not actually going to put my neck out there. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to keep my head down. Maybe Jesus will come again. He'll take me away to heaven. Because what happens is we want to please the world rather than God. Exactly what you said and, earlier. And, and, and this is the thing is, blessed are those who have found a worthy wife, because ultimately um, the, the church is espoused to us. Yes. And, and like if you put yourself out on the line and evangelize and make known and trade in the mystery— and I mean, in that sense of saying, like, I'm going to give the mystery away. I mean, that's yes. what you and I are trying to do right here. Right. That's why you all join us, because we want to put ourselves out for the depths of this mystery and right. to say, this is what we are on about. Yep. And this is what we want to live. And this is what we love and treasure. And you guys get a chance to love and treasure it with us. And so... Um, please God rather than your neighbor, mm. but love God above all else. And then your neighbor is yourself after that. Right. And, uh, and, and, and that's where we, we're, we're not going to bury this. Right. Don't, don't bury nothing because we've been in, entre- we've been entrusted with the greatest treasure. Uh, you know, the greatest love has been granted to me. Absolutely. So what are you going to do with it? The greatest <laughs> love is happening to me. Thank you, Whitney. Yeah, absolutely, Whitney. One um, quick public service announcement before we close up. This is a shout-out, but it didn't really fit at the beginning. Um, if you want a way to actually use your talents, college students and seminarians, I'm specifically calling you. Some of you know we run a ministry called Camp Voitiwa. My wife and I, an outdoor ministry, we take young people into the wilderness, mountaineering, rock climbing, whitewater rafting, backpacking. We teach them about God and themselves. We're looking for counselors. We're looking for our staff this summer. So if you're a college student, you're a seminarian, you're somewhere around that age, go to camp-w.com. That's our website. We are accepting applications uh, to join us for the summer. It's going to be awesome. So just a shout out to Camp Voitiwa. Um, Maybe you'll join us. Absolutely. Father Peter is one of our chaplains. What? What? Um, he is. You are sort of our chaplain par excellence. I, I'm kind of arch chaplain. Arch chaplain. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, absolutely. Come and uh, check that out. Sign up. Um, it's it's uh, pretty competitive. Yeah. Uh, and and so you got what it takes. And as you're Boom. listening to this, you're like, oh, I know these scriptures. I want to give it away. Boom. So uh, it's really easy to think that our talent is a little too small to do anything with. Yep. But it's not. But it's not. And for those of you who have large talents, you can also give $10,000. You can do that. Yes, we will accept that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, love you guys. Keep it real. We'll see you next week and then week after that until the parousia. So uh, God bless you. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.